Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Hi, this is Megan from Pennsylvania. I watched Willy's Wonderland the other week, and I do have some strong feelings about that movie, which I will not get into. But my question was, what is all of your favorite flavor of Nicolas Cage performance? Um, Do you love his crazy performances like in Vampire Kiss and Wild at Heart? Or do you like the brooding kind of Nicolas Cage that was in Mandy? Or do you like the silent kind of Nicolas Cage boo, which was in Willy's Wonderland? That was it. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Megan. So why don't we hand this off to Megan to see what are your favorite Nicolas Cage roles? Uh, I like Nicolas Cage. Um, So, yeah, I agree (laughs) with Megan. Vampire's Kiss is uh, pretty good, pretty, pretty out there. Um, I do like Wild at Heart if we're counting. I guess it could loosely count as horror. Mm. Um, but I also really love Mandy, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mom and Dad, I feel like, does not get talked about enough uh, between him and Selma Blair both being unhinged homicidal parents. I feel like that's great. <laughs> um, Drive Angry, I like. I just, I guess. I almost it... watched that today. I should Did have. you really? <laughs> yeah, it's on uh, Tubi right now. Oh, now I'm going to rewatch it. Uh, yeah, I just, <laughs> I think the whole movie his vibe fits really well. Uh, bringing out the dead is another one. Yeah. I think that he's the type of actor that is really, really good, but you have to, I don't want to say beyond his wavelength, but you have to know how to wield that power, you know, like, yeah, for sure. If you like a lot of people like color out of space, but I have, have you seen mm-hmm. color out of space? I haven't I feel seen like it yet. I'm not a massive Lovecraftian fan. So, Okay, I feel like he's in a different movie than the rest of the cast. <laughs> in that like movie. Wicker Man? <laughs> Maybe so. Like, everybody is kind of cohesive, and then he's in a total separate movie acting apart from them. And it's it's really wild to see, which I'm sure works for a lot of people. It's just kind of jarring for me. So, yeah, I feel like everything that Megan mentioned, Mandy, Mom and Dad, Drive Angry, like, those are kind of my genre cage highlights. Uh his action stuff too, but yeah, we're we're talking horror. So yeah, he's he's a tool. Depends on how you use him. He can be really great or really out there. So what what about what did you have on your list? Well, I agree. I think that what we're seeing now are people saying, "Let Nicolas Cage just be bonkers." 
No, like, I don't. He is an actor who's willing to go that way. You think he's taking the reins on his own and doing that? Yeah, I think so. I think, well, to an extent, I think he has a clue. Oh, Prisoners of the Ghost Land. That's another one that I really loved him in. I haven't which seen is, that one. It's not, it's not out yet. I saw it at Sundance. Um, oh, okay. And that, your your thought kind of triggered that reminder for me. Because I think he, he has to have this certain director. And they have to be on the same page. Because if you don't have a strong enough kind of vision for your project, I think he will do whatever he wants and mm. it may or may not work for the film. Cause he's a absolutely phenomenal actor. I yeah. think the, the, the crazy performances overshadow the fact that he is an Academy award winning actor. He is brilliant yeah. in leaving Las Vegas. He is in one of my all time favorite movies, raising Arizona. He is hilarious yeah. in raising Moonstruck? Arizona. Moonstruck. Yeah. Um, yeah, Moonstruck. I mean, even like Peggy Sue got married. Like his old stuff. I mean, even the. I mean, he's really weird in like The Rock and Kiss of Death. And I mean, he kind of works in City of Angels, though. Like that kind of works in a really weird way. But we're talking horror. Um, I, I agree. Yeah. I think Mandy is my favorite of his. I still need to see Willie's Wonderland, though. It's been on my list, and I just haven't gotten to it. So, and I know there's been kind of mixed reviews about whatever, but I don't know. It's kind of hard to pick because it's, despite the fact that recently he's become more well-known for horror and his horror roles, he's got such a massive filmography of really great performances. It's almost hard for me to step aside and be like, well, this horror movie went in the back of my head. I'm just thinking of him and John Goodman in Raising Arizona. Did you? Okay, you've been to New Orleans, right? I have. I have seen his Did you do... his uh, grave. Oh, I have. I have not seen that. I don't think. I, no, maybe I have. I was going to ask if you did a ghost tour where they take. Oh, you by I did a ghost tour. Yeah, L- but I've also Lallori's, seen his uh, his his pyramid. His pyramid grave. Yeah, you had been like on the ghost tour that took you by Madame Lori's mansion, like the horror American Horror Story had a whole season yep. around it. So did they go into it all like Nicolas Cage having once owned, he bought that place and he stayed there and blames it for, he thinks it cursed him is what the ghost tour told us. And that like that's, he had tax problems since then, which is why he takes like so many roles. So I think, you know, fun, fun trivia. If you go to the cemetery down there, that's the the main one on the cemetery tours that has Nicolas Cage's pyramid Uh that's waiting for him upon his death. So there's this really big lore around it. And I wish I'd written it down. I was just super hungover (laughs) when I took the tour. And I was not feeling well at all. But I guess that was a part of him trying to break the curse. And it involved having to move like bodies and like buying land. And it's just bonkers but i think it is that it was him trying to break that curse interesting this gives insight to his horror streak probably yeah it's all very crazy and for those of you listening who aren't entirely sure why you haven't heard from xena yet it's because xena's not here i know i thought about announcing that right away but so if things feel 33 percent less magical yeah that's why we're missing our fairy and let's face it I'm not 33% magical, so if things are like 40 to 45% less magical, <laughs> it's because Zena's not around. Aww. She'll be back. Yeah. Unfortunately, her flight just got delayed, so she'll be back next week. Yeah. We miss you. We miss you. Call two. 
Hey, guys. was listening to last week's episode and heard you talking about the battery. And then that kind of spun me off into something I saw on Twitter that I wanted to bring and ask you on the podcast. So on Twitter, the question I saw was, uh, what sporting event would you go back and watch if you had the chance? And to twist that and bring it back into the battery and into the podcast, I wanted to know what one movie would you guys want to go back to the set on and watch being filmed? Uh, would it be something way, way back like Nosferatu, uh, The Evil Dead, Night of the Living Dead, Aliens? Um, I've been able to narrow my list down to just shy of like 500 movies that I'd love to go back and watch. So curious what your guys' top picks are. Keep up the awesome work with the podcast. Thanks, caller. Uh, I hate to sound lame, but I have to say Evil Dead. The just because like which one? Oh, the original Evil Dead or Evil Dead Two. Okay, like seeing that being filmed, just because. Well, the original Evil Dead, especially because I'm I'm such a huge fan of it. But it was you know the Super Eight days, and it, it was filmed over such a long period of time, and it, it was the start of people even discovering who Sam Raimi were and Bruce Campbell and the mark that they would potentially leave. I think it'd just be really fascinating. Cause I also heard it was kind of brutal. <laughs> like Sam Raimi was not exactly fun, a fun director. Like he would torment the hell out of the cast. Well, they were like, all like filming. college students essentially. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Like the, the toast scene where, um, where Bruce Campbell is trying to do a toast and he like tries to quote a Greek friend of his or whatever. That's just him failing at improv. Oh, I know it's so awkward to watch when you know that it's not him reading the lines. It's him just not doing well in the scene. <laughs> but I, I, any, especially, yeah, I would say Evil Dead, any of those old original movies, if you could have been there to kind of capture magic in like when Halloween was being filmed mm. or Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th, especially like Friday the 13th, when it, which was not expected to be anything other than a really quick cash grab. Yeah. You know, like, that's fascinating to me. How about you? I kind of mixed it up because I feel like, obviously, I want to be on set when they're doing Alien. But I kind mm -hmm. of tried to think of more interesting uh, options across time. So, The Night of the Hunter, I went with that Ooh, one. Oh, with Robert Mitchum. That would have been awesome. Yeah, it's such a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. And it was his mm -hmm. only directorial effort, Charles Nunn. So, I'm like, what? was that like on set? Uh, and then I switched gears entirely and went with Peter Jackson's dead alive slash brain dead, depending on oh. your region. Can you imagine uh, just being on set during even the third act where it's complete oh. utter bloodbath with puppet well, organs? Well, and, the, yeah. Well, the dinner scene. Oh. Like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, give me it's... the carnage. And John's like, give me the pus porridge. Good time. Well, no, don't. I don't want the pus <laughs> porridge, but that would have been kind of amazing to watch happen. I feel like any moment to just be on set of that chaos would be pure magic. Uh, so, yeah. And then even as recent as a few years ago, I went with Evil Dead 2013. So mm, we've got our Evil Dead bases too, yeah. covered between us. Um, but, yeah. Can you imagine the blood rain 
Oh, God, the 30,000 gallons of blood or whatever they used for it. Insane, But, yeah, I I would have loved to have been on any of that. So, yeah. Nice. Well, welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Podcast, everyone. The podcast where we discuss all the disgusting things we love in the horror world. And to discuss the disgusting, you know her as lead movie critic for Bloody Disgusting, horror movie fanatic and journalist Megan Navarro. Hey, Megan. Hi. And I'm John. It's just not the same. I know. We have no Xena. And I feel like that's going to be all the comments this week. We, we miss Zena. We don't care about you chumps. <laughs> you're right. It's not magical it's without It's not. Her. If you're listening to this on a Wednesday when the episode usually drops, we hope that your week's been filled with all the best kinds of horror. And if not, we're going to quick round the table for the movies, books, games, or anything else in the horror world that are making the two of us smile right now. These will be things that will make you smile too. So, Megan, what's filling your heart this week? I watched lots and lots and lots of things. Um... But I wanted to talk about Beyond Dreams Door. It is a 1989 movie. Uh, watched it on Blu-ray. It is uh, part of Vinegar Syndrome's recently released uh, Homegrown Box Set Volume Homegrown Horrors Box Set Volume One. I think it says the website says it's limited to like 7,000, but it's one of three features on there. I have not made it to the other two features yet, but this one it is uh, a wild one plot is Ben has not been sleeping well. His dreams are filled with violent and terrifying visions of monsters and death. Seeking out answers, he begins to pursue the subtext and hidden meanings of his nightmares with the help of his professor and strange uh, and several friends. As the dreams grow increasingly lifelike, he fears he's losing his grip on his sanity, especially as everyone around him starts turning up dead, just like in his sleep. This movie is wild. Wild, wild. Um... <laughs> It is the ambitious debut by Jay Wolfel. It is. It was painstakingly reconstructed shot by shot from its original unedited 16 millimeter camera negative and presented in its director's cut in this Blu-ray. So Homegrown Horrors is basically these super, super deep dive uh, cuts in horror that are kind of, they're, they're American, but they're all kind of take on the local flavor from where they're made. Uh, this one is wild. I cannot imagine something like this being made today because, you know, this, they don't give you, like, what I read you is probably the best idea you're ever going to get of the plot because (laughs) watching it is really hard to understand what the heck is happening. This guy has nightmares of a monster, and I guess this monster comes over into reality and kills people, but then they get pulled into the dreams and terrorized too, I guess. Um, And... The monster doesn't want anybody to know that it exists, so it's also simultaneously trying to erase its existence, I think. Interesting. Um, you think? <laughs> I think. It's super, I mean, it's just this wild, ambitious ride. I mean, there's really great shot composition. It's very surreal, some great imagery, um, but acting is pretty amateur and hmm. also bizarre. Like, you know, he's a college student. And he he enlists his professor and the TAs to help him. But his like the TA's first introduction is hitting on the female TA. And it's just this really bizarre scene that doesn't make sense. And it's followed immediately by a guy coming in, asking for the TA's help, acting like a student. And then he pulls a gun on him. 
And the and then it's like, psych, it's a professor playing a prank on him. And so this professor just pulls out a gun all the time. This professor always has a gun. And I don't think that there's a horror movie that did college right in the 80s. No, no. <laughs> there's always the weirdest pranks going on. So many of them involving guns. Yeah. I mean, what what on earth is this professor doing? Like, coyote cowboy shooting guns. Like, I don't know. It's wild. But it's super ambitious. I, I could not look away. I was mesmerized. So I, I don't know that I know what was happening, but I was never bored. So it's a, it's a really cool box set. I know I'm underselling it here, but it's a super cool box set. And then I decided I was going to binge the entire Saw franchise. All of it. You are tougher than I. I tapped out after five. Five in a row is a lot. It's Well, I mean... I did it over the course of a week, so it's not like I just sat there all day. Oh, okay. I did it in like a day and a half. Yeah. No, it is a lot. It is a lot. Because I did watch three of them yesterday on a lazy Sunday, and I had like dreams of saw blades and stuff. So (laughs) don't do like I do, ladies and gentlemen. Um, But yeah, so the first seven are available on HBO Max, and Jigsaw is on Pluto TV. So they are all available I don't know that it really needs any plot introduction. I mean, Jigsaw and his cohorts are torturing their victims with elaborate traps for their own good. That's essentially (laughs) what it is. Um, I will say that, uh, I mean, I was inspired by the upcoming Spiral to to rewatch, which I also did when Jigsaw came out in, what's that, 2017, 2018. And the reason why I've deduced is because this series gets increasingly convoluted as it goes. <laughs> and so I forget a lot of things that happen. You know, like I, I remember the traps. I remember, you know, John Kramer, a.k.a. Jigsaw. I remember the first two a lot. I like the second one. The second one might be actually my favorite. Um because it's like an escape. Three, four, and five get really confusing. It's four it's really through six get that gets confusing. Because three six? is still pretty straight. Because so obviously the first one doesn't really need any introduction. Two to me is like an escape room horror movie. Yeah. Um, and that's where they bring Amanda With... back and twist blah blah blah. But then three. But three was with the doctor. Three right? was with the doctor. Um. Oh, but it doesn't get confusing until. Four, it picks up some of that. And then four through six is like after he's died and they start bringing Mm -hmm. other people in and he's like retroactively making character reveals too. So it's Mm -hmm. not just about him, but then this character and then this person was a backstabber. Just kidding. Two movies later, they were manipulated and it just gets so... I feel like I have one of those conspiracy boards every time I go through this series. Like, what? Who? Why? Oh, yeah, I remember that person from part two. Um, there is no Carol in HR. There, there is none. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I I did it all. And probably a dumb move because when the next Saw movie comes out, I'm going to have to rewatch them all over again to be like, okay, oh. so what happened? I, I remember getting so confused. I mean... The the running plot gets confusing. Yeah. But then some of the torture devices get, like, extra confusing. Like, only one of you's supposed to survive. And I thought it was about sacrificing something so 
everybody could survive. It it changes though. That's the thing is uh-huh. it changes per movie what the rules are. Like three D that one that all went out the uh, window. Three the the three D or the final chapter. I don't know which title it goes. But I mean, it was three D when it was in theaters, but I think you watch it on HBO, and I think it's under like final chapter or something like that. But yeah, that one was like the worst one. 3D had this really, really weird scene that I still, for the life of me, can't figure out why it exists beyond the fact that there was an opportunity for 3D effects. Yeah. When they're doing the survival group, uh-huh. and one lady stands up, and she's like, I survived. He saved me or whatever. And all they do is quick flash to what's going on, and she's like hanging above a combine thrasher with another person. Yeah. And they just see them like screaming above it. I'm like, but, well, what was the trap? Did they yeah. did they wake up and they were hanging from the bar? Like I'm just confused cuz that just looks like you're both about to fall into a thresher. Like I don't know what's going on anymore. Yeah. I I think 5 and 7 are my least favorite. Um I like a lot of them overall. I mean, I like 1 through 3, 6 pretty solid. Uh I don't I know when Jigsaw came out a lot of people were not fond of that one, but I don't mind it at all, especially cuz it kind of erases some of the <laughs> bad taste of seven out of my mouth i do think the reveal is kind of silly but overall like you want simplicity with these things and they got a little less they got too complex still fun for the most well, that part. was yeah the only thing the the main issue i had with seven or i mean with jigsaw is at some point john kramer becomes magical because he just suddenly disappears that's like what do you mean he becomes magical and disappears? Well, doesn't he like disappear out of his body, like disappears out of the coffin? Oh, n- he does not. Somebody does that to him. Or some- somebody else does. Yeah, like, see, also this, introducing magic. this is why it's like, like a little confused. complicated because they do so many time jumps around this series yeah, to, to account yeah. for it. So, you know, things that are happening six really happen before two or whatever. Uh, Jigsaw is is two timelines happening at once. And because of that, like, sometimes you look at the traps, like, in Jigsaw, the laser trap. Yeah. I was like, that's super sophisticated, and yet that was, like, one of the first traps? It's not. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's two timelines. So there's a modern timeline happening, and then there's a past timeline happening. There's two killers, really, in Jigsaw. But There's um, Jigsaw. Okay. I, I'm going to give myself a headache. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean yeah i'm proving my point here is that it got really complicated but there are two timelines happening in jigsaw and one is kind of predates all of saw essentially or right around the saw timeline and the other one is post-death in modern day so and i'm still looking forward to spiral to be clear yeah i am confused about the series i am still looking forward to spiral <laughs> me too what did you watch? I know what you watched, but what did you watch? <laughs> so, well, since you're here, we will start out with your pick, Waxwork on Tubi, which I think was 1988, but I forgot to write it down. Yeah, 88 or 89, I think, yeah. A group of college friends find themselves fighting for their lives as they are one by one trapped in the exhibits of a demonic wax museum. Okay, Megan, why this one? Because it's so much fun. Uh, I might, I might have a soft spot for wax museum type horror movies. Um, so that's probably 
part a big part of the reason why but it is super fun it is crammed with every possible monster you can conceive of and i think they just do a lot with that whole concept so yeah i loved this so much i'm almost embarrassed of how much i enjoyed this also because it's one of those movies the number of times that it's popped up on my feed and I haven't watched it just because the cover art is is the the little person like went in front of the yeah. door, and I was just like wax works like because uh, in my head it was like going to be like House of Wax or I was thinking it was going to be whatever the strange wax and motif of the eighties, um, but this was so almost so bad it's good it is because <laughs> the portrayal of college. Hey, that's a theme apparently this week. Oh, like Zach Galligan or Gallagher was so ridiculous. Like there was no reason for him to be a like a snobby rich guy in the movie, like at all. I feel like until like his butler comes in at the end, and suddenly that's a thing. And um, like the the strange football playing montage that's happening over their conversation in the bleachers, which is like this the, is a high the, school moment, not a college moment. Yeah, the weird Nazi professor, <laughs> like, the weird melodramatic like whole thing during class to get her out of there is is a bit much. But yeah, it's also so for people who haven't watched Waxworks. First of all, go to Tubi and watch Waxwork because come on, yeah. Like do it. The exact same words basically that Megan said to me. Like, you haven't seen it? Come on. <laughs> it's it's that simple. It's a group of friends, like two two women get invited to this waxworks in this really silly, strange way, like very mysteriously. And they show up there and one by one, like the displays are magical. Like spoilers, I guess. <laughs> and they get sucked into the displays and they have to start defending themselves. And I was thinking that this reminded me so much of another movie. And now I can't think. Well, it felt very, 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 very uh, Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. Like the the makeup, the acting, the set design, all of it. I think a couple of the people that were in the movie were actually in episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Probably. Um, who wasn't I know, then? I know the China actress. Well, yeah, exactly. If you weren't in Tales from the Crypt, were you an actor? <laughs> Ooh. And... Burn 1994 actors. Um, and it's just, it's bonkers. And it all culminates in what I can only describe as the horror equivalent to the last scene in Blazing Saddles. <laughs> it suddenly gets so weird. Are you talking about the whole <laughs> like, finale? Yeah. Okay, I will not spoil what happens, obviously. But I will say that they ran out of money. And that's that why. totally makes sense. Yeah, they ran that out of totally money and sense. Anthony Hickox was like, well, this is what we're doing. We only have literally a day's <laughs> worth of shooting that we can do. And it works. It yeah. oddly works. It's wild. It, I don't know how else it, you would finish this movie, to be honest. It's, it, it's bonkers. And then it gets more bonkers. Yeah. And then it gets more bonkers. But it's so delightful. It, it is. It's it's very very enjoyable. It's it's like classic like eighties late eighties cheesy horror, and it's 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 pure comfort watch. I will absolutely have this in the rotation. Yeah. 
After that, and maybe I should have watched this first, <laughs> I watched Zena's pick, 2018's Pledge on Hulu. Which she did say why she picked it. Oh, she did? Yeah. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, have, her, we'll have you read that after. Okay. A group of college freshmen pledge an exclusive fraternity, but soon realize there's more at stake than they could have ever imagined. Okay, why did Zena pick this for me? She said... I picked Pledge because it's kind of like the Skulls meets Hostel, therefore we all mm. need it. Regardless of the familiar <laughs> tropes, it's a fun, uh, unexpected surprise. And the crew behind this one is from West- Westchester 914. Woohoo! That's her words. Uh, plus the line, I would swallow her underwear, will live in my head forever. I do not do uh, that nearly as fun as Zena would, so I apologize. No. Because it would have been her stifling her laughter super, super hard (laughs) out of just pure enjoyment of the movie to the point where she almost feels embarrassed by how much she likes the movie. Now, this movie is really good and it's a really hard watch because, like you said, combining a fraternity and a skulls-like trope with uh, a hostel, basically, just... If you're going to watch it, understand there's a lot of very, very brutal hazing that you're going to watch. Yeah, it's a step beyond hazing. It's Yeah, it's it's torture. It, it's, it's, they call it hazing. Yeah. It is not. No. Uh, it's, there's some pretty tough scenes to the point where I was pretty upset by the end oh, of it. Oh, no. But not because of the movie, not because of Xena, but because I hate that idea. The I hate hazing. Meanness. The idea yeah. of hazing. For no reason. Yeah. Like the, the 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 gatekeeper mentality of like I know what's best or this happened to me so I'm gonna do it to you which is all bullshit in the first place because you're just you're gonna you people who are doing this you probably didn't have it as bad as you're inflicting it on someone else and you can break the cycle you can say stop yeah like kids but you don't you don't have to you don't want to no fraternity is worth it no no walk away like. <laughs> Not like I'm saying that I'm a I'm a great example of what you can be when you weren't in a fraternity, but you can be fine. I wasn't you in a fraternity and I turned out okay. There you go. You can be like Megan. You can be the lead movie critic for Bloody Disgusting and watch all the Saw movies across the span of a week. Yes. That, so that is not better? a selling point for most people. The people who listen to this podcast, it should be. <laughs> Just, but it, but it's just like it, it's really tough to watch because I know that it exists, and uh, and either as bad as it sounds, like either I wasn't good enough at sports or popular enough to be a victim of hazing, but I know that it happens when you play sports growing up. Like, oh well, this happened to us, and uh, of course you hear it goes so much worse, so far to beyond assault, and. So for me, it's really hard to watch this because I I hate that that exists yeah. so much. It makes me so sad to the point I get so angry. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. Uh, so it's a tough watch. It's really good. You're not necessarily going to feel very good by the end of it, one way or the other, because you are going to probably have conflicted feelings by the end. Uh, no spoilers. But it's on Hulu. If you're interested, if you like that concept, if you are okay with the torture aspect of horror movies, by all means, go for it. Um, But no going in, not an easy watch for me. (laughs) You might watch and be like, what? It's a horror movie. Get over it. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. 
I understand. I'm sensitive. Like <laughs> so to smooth off my edges, I wholeheartedly dove into the Patreon pick. 2010's Troll Hunter. And we will add a special thank you to the patron in our show notes. I apologize. We don't have your name right now. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm a jerk. A group of students investigates a series of mysterious bear killings, but learns that there's much more dangerous things going on. They start to follow a mysterious hunter, learning that he's actually a troll hunter. I adore this movie so much. This is one of those movies I had no expectations whatsoever. This was a movie I, I'm... Like 99% sure I watched it at about two o'clock in the morning <laughs> dur- well, during a feeding of my like newborn son. Aww. I was just like in a chair and I had headphones on and I'm like, all right, he's asleep. I don't want him to wake up. I'm going to just put something on my laptop. And I'm almost positive that's how I saw Troll Hunter to the point where I was sitting there like all of a sudden two hours had gone by and I was just like, I'm so happy that I saw this right now at four <laughs> o'clock in the morning. It's so it's documentary style. Uh, you could call it found footage, yeah. I suppose. I mean, it totally works as a found footage principle. I actually, that's pretty much how it's set up as found footage. The footage was found. There you go. <laughs> and edited together. Uh, so it's, it is. It's college students who there's been a bunch of bear killings that don't make any sense in the area, and they're interviewing local hunters. And then there's this one guy that everyone kind of suspects of killing these bears. So they start following him. All of a sudden they find out that trolls exist. Now, I don't know the troll mythology, evidently, like they must in Scandinavian countries to the idea that they are giants. I always thought trolls were little, but maybe that's because I think the Are you thinking of like the, the tiny the little toys? Button. Yeah. I don't think that's the maybe. normal troll. I think that's a... I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> They discover these trolls that uh, they exist everywhere. And that the, the is it Sweden or Norway? Uh, pretty sure Norway. Norway? Like the Norwegian government's covering it up. And it is so much fun. The visual effects in it are so good to the point where you're like, it's almost like Jurassic Park level. Because Jurassic Park still holds up in a lot of ways, like better than CGI for most yeah, movies. Yeah, practical and the fact... does that usually, yeah. Wait, those trolls were practical? No, you said Jurassic Park. I'm like, Jurassic Park holds oh, up yeah. because it's practical. Oh, but I mean like even like like when the when you first see the brontosaurus show up in the distance and that's CGI yeah. and stuff. And yeah. So, but the trolls and Troll Hunter really, really work. And I think part of it is really smartly done because a lot of them are shown in night vision yeah and i think night vision takes uh like like the shine off of it like it kind of rounds those edges so like the 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 depth perception like in your eyes is a little messed up so watching that cgi through night vision makes them look really really real like you clearly know it's not real but it's pretty good to watch it it by no means takes you out of the action when you suddenly see a giant grab a guy in a suit of armor and slam him against the side of a bridge, <laughs> which is such a wonderful scene. <laughs> and it is, oh, it's so much fun. I love it. I know you've seen it, Megan. What do you think? I, I like it. I understand. I think 
expectations possibly play a role in how people receive it because it's so well done, but mm-hmm. it's not scary. I think there's a no, lot of humor scary. to it, so I feel like it's yeah. almost more of a comedic fantasy than outright horror in terms of found footage. So depending on those expectations is probably whether you like it or not. But I really like it. And I love that. Was this his first movie? And and Andre of Dahl? I think Ofdahl? it might. Well, it might have been his. his uh, I think he had a couple beforehand, but they were all uh, uh, foreign language films. I mean, I, this is too. Right. You can watch uh, on... You can see it on Tubi. There's actually the subtitled or the the dubbed. And I recommend the subtitled, actually, because I'm always weirded out when the dub doesn't match the subtitles. It's always oh, so strange yeah, for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I like how he's got a very strong grasp of visuals. Like, this is a gorgeous movie. Uh-huh. But every everything he's done since is kind of the same way, where it's, like, tonally, mm-hmm. it's different. But visually, it's always great. Like, the autopsy yeah. of Jane Doe is oh, freaking terrifying, so but it's really so well good. done. Uh, scary yeah. stories to tell in the dark. Gorgeous mm-hmm. movie, but also a complete, totally different movie than everything he's done before. So he's he's hard to kind of pin down stylistically, which is exciting. But yeah, I really like Troll Hunter as well. Yeah, and I agree. Like, arguably, the, the quote unquote scariest or tensest scene is diffused with troll farts. <laughs> Oh. See, yeah, and troll farts make They're, me giggle. Apparently, <laughs> they should. They should. Uh, okay. So before we move on, what did we watch and how do we watch it? I watched Beyond Dreams Door, which is a part of the Homegrown Horrors Volume One box set released by Vinegar Syndrome, and then I binged like a mad woman the entire Saw <laughs> franchise. The first seven are on HBO Max, and Jigsaw is on Pluto TV. Nice. And I watched Waxworks on Tubi, Pledge on Hulu, not The Pledge, just Pledge on Hulu, and Troll Hunter on Tubi. All right, Megan, what am I watching next week? We are going to, should we ask Xena what I'm going to watch, or should I just leave that as a wild card and throw an extra one in? That is up to you. I feel like I should, ooh, we'll call that a mystery pick. So we'll we'll have Xena pick it, but the listeners don't get to know what it is. All right. So it'll be just bonus bonus uh i'm going to be a jerk and make you watch the sequel waxwork 2 <laughs> i think that's on tubi right it now it is too, on tubi it? yeah when you say jerk i just do i know where this is going no i i actually really like the sequel but i feel like it's also cheap to just be like well since you like oh. this one so much <laughs> just fruit gotcha yeah that's okay, because I, I do I do have one that I've been meaning to watch that Troll Hunter filled the space of. So there's definitely another one I have slated to play catch up on. And go. we'll we'll ask Xena offline. Yeah. And so Xena will have her own pick next week. Yay. All right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Enough of what we've been watching this week. It's time for Megan to bring us up to speed on the news and trending topics in the world of horror. So what's going on, Megan? 
not-so- surprising George Romero news. Uh, Twilight of the Dead is returning from the grave. Before he passed away in 2017, horror master George Romero had been developing one final zombie movie titled Twilight of the Dead. Uh, Suzanne Romero, the wife of the late zombie film director, has quietly been working with screenwriters on the script, and now they're seeking meetings with directors. Romero had w- written the treatment for Twi- Twilight of the Dead with Paolo Zalotti, who is now working with Joe Knetter and Robert L. Lucas to finish the project. Suzanne said of the project and of her screenwriter partner, uh, Zalotti, I, give him, I gave him my full blessing as long as I could be there every step of the way for it to remain true to George's vision. We had a solid treatment and the beginning of the script. I can 100% say that George would be incredibly happy to see this continue. He wanted this to be his final stamp on the zombie genre. It's no secret that Diary and Survival were not the way he envisioned the series ending, and George knew it very well. Notes Zelati, Twilight of the Dead was his goodbye to the genre he created, and he wanted to go out with a powerful film. The only plot details that we know so far is that it's set in a decimated world with very little life left. Um, it's kind of not all that surprising in a way, this news, because... I don't know if you've ever been to the George A. Romero Foundation website. I think it's like GeorgeARomeroFoundation.org or something like that. They had a webinar. I don't know when because pandemic time is a complete blur. I feel like it was a couple (laughs) months ago that I attended this. um, And they were really kind of digging into his this huge collection that they've compiled it's it's at a university uh in pittsburgh and they have been going through and kind of documenting everything and it revealed and it really hit home what a prolific writer romero was he wrote so much uh a lot of which never got made a lot of which was supposed to get made but then didn't um there was even that that webinar had a little clip from a, a show or a movie that was supposed to happen and then never got completed. It was a rare glimpse. So if you're a fan of Romero's, check out, you know, George A. Romero Foundation. But um, between like a book that had come out last year that was co- partially written by Romero and I think it was Daniel Krauss something. I'll look that up. Um But anyways, I'm not surprised to know that he had a treatment and he was in the process of completing, you know, this, this zombie, really not even, it's how, how many entries is that? I didn't, it's like five, six deep. Oh, it's like five for sure. Five for sure. Yeah. It was like land of the dead was four. There was, is there diary of the dead and survival of the dead? Are yeah, the, so, so that would be si- day, dawn, land, diaries. So yeah, at least five. So I think there's like six. I think there's six, but the last hmm. two were kind of not received well at all. So yeah, yeah. just I don't know. Um, what are your thoughts on this? I don't know. I never. I always have mixed feelings when I hear about the posthumous titles, whether it be novelists who Complete. people have carried on their work. Yeah. Um. Or, you know, because they had a synopsis or they had a treatment or something. And then someone in the estate gives their blessing. Like, yeah, so-and-so would totally support this. Like, I mean, it's it's weird because, so, I mean, Romero wrote the treatment. Yeah. And that's fine. But 
I don't know. Like I, I'm fine if it, it if they say that this is going to help bookend his legacy, go for it. I just hope that it does. I just I want them if they're going to do it, mm-hmm. find a studio, find executives, find creatives who are going to treat it with the respect that it deserves if it's going to be his legacy. Because there would be nothing sadder if they're going to try and treat this as a legacy and as a bookend, and it's like a straight to video. Yeah, I mean, I feel mess. like they would try to bank on his name, so I would like to think they would give but it. But they a little... didn't for the last two. No, but he was. The last he two he were did straight. those. Those were him. So I know, but they weren't bank. But nobody was trying to bank on him. Like they just it was straight to streaming. Yeah, but. I feel like there's the whole. I mean, look at um, Stanley. You know. Yeah. Th- yeah, there's... for sure. I mean, they they could be they could trade on that a little bit. Yeah. So I mean, who's to say? I do think that it's you know knowing that he put in a lot of. I mean, we don't. I don't know how much work he put into it, but he had a clear plan. His wife is determined to, to see his vision, like that his voice is through it. Um, but. If it doesn't work, he's also, you know, not the one that takes the fall ultimately, I think, if that makes sense. That's true. So it's yeah. like, because we, mean, we do know. People could shrug it off and be like, well, he passed away. Of course it was. I mean, like, yeah, I, we don't know how much of this is his story or not. So it could go either way. But I, I'm never going to be mad. Like, even if, you know, however this, this shakes out, I'm never going to be mad at, at kind of keeping his memory alive. So. Yeah, I'm not gonna say why they make this. Why they make it's this? Fine. No. Uh, if anything, go go to George A. Romero Foundation and check out all of the impressive stuff that he he had written in his life that never came to pass as, as a feature project. It's insane. I mean, he was a workhorse, and you would not have ever guessed. Um, and then well, speak. People should pull from that. It doesn't need to be all Stephen King adaptations. Oh, well, he did pull a lot archives. of that. He did a lot of that too. So, anyways, moving on to more uh, horror royalty that have projects in the works. We have a new David Cronenberg movie on the way. It, this was, uh, I think we even talked about this on the podcast not that long ago um, with Viggo Mortensen mm-hmm. teasing a return yep. to his body horror. Um, so, more news is coming out. We're getting a lot more firmer details on that. He's set to return to his roots with his next movie with Mortensen on board to reunite and lead the cast. Uh, this will be his first feature since 2014's Map to the Stars and is reportedly now titled Crimes of the Future. Um, according mm. to a report shared by IndieWire, Cronenberg is filming Crimes of the Future in Greece this summer, and the website noted that Cronenberg fans might recognize the title as the same title the writer-director uh, made in 1970 about a dermatological clinic director searching for his mentor in the midst of a plague that was killed that has killed off women. Uh, I, IMDb, I actually have not seen 1970s Crimes of the Future. IMDb lists it as a comedy slash sci-fi, so that's interesting. <laughs> um, okay. I, this does not sound like it's going to be comedy. Um, <laughs> it mostly lines up with the comments that Mortensen made earlier this year where he told GQ it's something he wrote a long time ago and he never got it made. Now he's refined it and he wants to sh- sh- he wants to shoot it. Hopefully it'll be this summer we'll be filming. I would say without giving the story away, he's going back to his origins a little bit, um, which, you know, we had talked about that GQ asked if that was a body horror type stuff. And he was like, yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, strange little <laughs> film. 
So new news about it that emerged since that GQ interview along with this is that it's the first original sci-fi script by Cronenberg since 1999's existence. It sounds really ambitious, taking a deep dive into the not-so-distant future where humankind is learning to adapt to its synthetic surroundings. This evolution moves humans beyond their natural state and into metamorphosis, altering their biological makeup. While some embrace the limitless potential of transhumanism, others attempt to police it. Either way, accelerated evolution syndrome is spreading fast, and Saul Tenser is a beloved performance artist who has embraced accelerated evolution syndrome, sprouting new and unexpected organs in his body. Along with his partner Caprice, Tenser has turned the removal of these organs into a spectacle for his loyal followers to marvel at in real-time theater. But with both government and a strange subculture taking note, Tensor is forced to consider what would be his most shocking performance of all. That's a really bizarre sounding plot. Uh-huh. That sounds like Cronenberg's saying, how much body horror can I cram into my next movie? But I also... I'm going to start removing organs. This sounds very existence to me, like much more in the... Mm. The vein of existence, which did have some weird body horror to it. Not as much as this sounds like it will. Um, Kristen Stewart was announced to have joined the cast, along with Leah Sado and Scott Speedman. Really? So they will be starring alongside Mortensen. So, yeah. Is, I, it's like, is Mortensen going to be this bizarre performer who is re- removing his organs? I don't know. I mean, it's David Cronenberg, so I'm in. Yeah, you know, I just saw History of Violence pop back up on Tubi or Peacock or something. I got to go back and watch it because, like I, I admitted a few weeks ago, I didn't realize that Cronenberg did History of Violence yeah. or Eastern Promises. Yeah, they're really and good, but they're History not History of Violence is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some horrific scenes in History of Violence, but it also has one of the most fascinating um one of the most fascinating Academy Awards moments of all time to me is William Hurt's nominated for History of Violence and Best Supporting Role as Viggo Mortensen's brother. He's in the movie for six minutes. <laughs> six minutes. And he basically just has a, a monologue. And he got a, nominated for an Academy Award. Oh, my God. What a great life that is. Anthony Hopkins was only in Silence of the Lambs for like 15 minutes tops. Yeah, it's like four or 14. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Be a be-, be a supporting actor. Forget that lead stuff. That's amazing. <laughs> Just show up, do a monologue, and go home. It's cool. But but yeah, but I love uh, I love seeing through those eyes. I also love seeing Cronenberg's um, uh, visual evolution because obviously he got his name with body horror. Yeah. But he's shown that he can take different material and film it really smartly and sin- like. N- not just shock, but beauty. I think, and obviously, there's beauty within the oh, shock yeah. sometimes. But, but I think he doesn't get enough credit for um, the dead zone. You know, no, nobody really thinks about connecting oh. the dead zone to Cronenberg because it's Stephen King property. But it's. I see. I forgot that that was Cronenberg. Too. Yeah, I mean, it's like Dead Zone's great. That's a great adaptation. It is, and it's not body horror. It just kind of caves slid in there. Um, oh. ni- 1983. So it was between you know the pinnacle, which was the fly in '86, and then mm-hmm. you know his late '70s stuff that was lo-fi, kind of grittier stuff. So I think a lot of people forget because King's name overshadows Cronenberg's, especially at the time. But that gives a strong indication of what he was capable of visually. 
I think King, King's name overshadows, but Cronenberg is also the biggest name in body horror. Yeah. So I think that that's what he's remembered for more than anything else, and that's what stands out. Yeah. But, Which is also sad at the same time because he's obviously an amazingly capable director. Oh, yeah. So I'm very excited. And uh, last but not least, fresh off the success of Godzilla vs. Kong, Adam Wingard is reteaming with Warner Brothers and Legendary to for their next MonsterVerse movie. Uh, it's not really surprising considering how well... Godzilla vs. Kong performed, but it is surprising because many people thought this was the last of Legendary's MonsterVerse movies. Um, Godzilla vs. Kong is the fourth in the MonsterVerse, which kicked off with 2014's Godzilla, continued with Kong Skull Island in 2017, and then Kong King of the Mo- or Godzilla King of the Monsters in 2019. Where this franchise could go is still a mystery yet to be seen, um, but the possible title that's being floated around is Son of Kong. Did you see the movie yet? I did. Sorry, I was squinting at Son of Kong. Son of Kong. Give me the stink face. I did see it. Uh, You know, my feeling is Kong and Godzilla were excellent in that movie. And... The human actors were vehicles for yeah, they were. the CGI, unfortunately. I, I saw some articles about how um, movies have forgot how to, like, use people in monster movies. Like, now they're plot devices and they're exposition. Yeah. Like, how do we reveal that this is going on? Well, let's have a kid stumble upon it. Really? Like, that's where we're going? And that's fine it is what it is i mean i thought the the cgi was beautiful it was a really gorgeous movie yeah um i mean godzilla smiling was weird (laughs) (laughs) but and i root for kong in the movies anyway i mean i i get that he shouldn't win theoretically he shouldn't be king of the monsters because he's a big ape and he doesn't breathe you know radioactive fire but I I, I, did, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for what it was. I wasn't expecting anything. You know, it's like watching Mortal Kombat. I wasn't looking for Academy Award. Yeah, well, yeah, no. You want the monsters to clash, and they did that. Um, so, yeah, Adam Wingard is currently in talks to do more. So if we're getting more, I'm probably going to watch it. What will I not watch? Not much. <laughs> but... Yeah, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, granted, he didn't write your next. No, so Simon I think Barrett it's did. funny to think that he is the the director of your next. When you see like, then like he's uh, like Blair. Then it goes Blair Witch, and then Death Note, and then a massive gap to Godzilla versus Kong. Good for him. Like that was. I mean, yeah, no, his budget's getting huge. He's getting a ton of studio attention. Yeah. But I also really love your next, and it's like, so you want, you to- know, it's like uh, uh, Andre, um, uh, who did Troll Hunter, where it's like you see him do, then you see Autopsy of Jane Doe, and you're like, yeah, yeah, keep doing this, more of this. <laughs> like it doesn't have to be like you want, massive. You want you can the make small, stuff just as amazing. scaled horror. Yeah. You don't need the big spectacle. That's fine. Yeah, you know, visually, it's it's cool. But it's not necessarily something I want that I want to rewatch, you know. But that's just me. Fair. All right, listeners, your turn. Excited for the Lost Romero film? Can't wait for more Cronenberg body horror. Let's hear about it. The number is two two four four seven five one zero four zero. The number is also in the show notes. 
Or if you don't want to hear your voice on the air or international rates are messing with you, feel free to email us at bedisgustingpodcast at gmail.com or keep an eye on our social media accounts for a chance to ask questions. Finally, Megan is going to read Zena's list of the upcoming movies that we need to be watching out for. So, Megan, what should we be watching out for? Zena's picks this week. Uh, Monday, May 3rd, Threshold is coming to Arrow Player. Uh, it is a brother-sister road trip movie involving possession shot exclusively on iPhones. Thursday, May 6th. Uh, Thursday, May 6th brings Fried Buried to Shudder. It is a, uh, Barry's a drug addict who's abducted by aliens. He takes a back seat as an alien visitor, assumes control of his body, and takes it for a joyride through Cape Town. It, what follows is an onslaught of drugs, sex, and violence as the alien tourist enters our bizarre world. Um. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's kind of like a Die Antwoord video, I think. Oh, that'll be interesting. Yeah. Uh, Friday, May 7th on VOD brings initiation. The murder of a university star athlete kicks off a spree of social media slangs that force students to uncover the truth behind the school's hidden secrets. And also on VOD and digital is The Devil's Child. A young American nurse finds herself haunted by the childhood trauma when she is employed at a remote house to care for a sinister old man with psychic powers. Also Friday on Shudder is the last drive-in episode five of season three. And to channel the spirit of Xena, as always, bloody disgusting TV. Check it out. (laughs) Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Live your life. (laughs) And that's the Bloody Disgusting podcast for this week, everyone. If you'd like to read more from Megan, you can check out her reviews at bloodydisgusting.com and at Twitter at HauntedMeg. Xena can be found on her own site, realqueenofhorror.com, and the YouTube channel of the same name, or at Lovely Xena on Twitter. And you can hear me on my weekly horror narration podcast, Creepy. Don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BeDisgustingPod, on Facebook at The Bloody Disgusting Podcast, or drop us an email at BeDisgustingPodcast at gmail.com. And for even more content and rewards and seeing how off the rails I get during Patreon bonus episodes, yep. <laughs> make sure to check us out on patreon.com slash pod. So for this week, I'm John. I'm Megan. And we miss Zena. We do. Grab some popcorn, cozy up on the couch, and watch something you love. Just make sure it's something bloody. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.